Last week, we looked at the dichotomy of, of more and less. As we consider the words of John 3.30, who said that Jesus must become more and we must become less. We talked about what that means, which is to make sure that God and his will has the highest priority and the biggest influence in our life. And we were reminded of God's promise that we are of value to him and that he loves and he cares for us, even when, and I'll, I'll correct that and say, especially when, when we recognize him in the proper place in our life. He never says nothing, that we are nothing. In fact, he loves us so much that putting him first elevates us with him. So he doesn't say he is everything and we are nothing. He says he must become more of an influence and we must, by contrast, become a little less of that. And we talked about what all that means. But this morning we're going to look at another dichotomy, and this is now and later, especially as it relates to the things we seek, the place we, we long to be, and, and how we view our time here on earth. Take a look at the picture on the screen. Take a look at the next picture on the screen. There we go. Roller coaster. I, I don't know what you guys think about roller coasters. I think I would have liked them longer ago than I do now. I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing. The spinning doesn't do much for me, but we used to love this. And my kids and I would get season passports of Worlds of Fun. We would just go over in the morning and, and do all this stuff. And it's a view of the ground looking up at the, the roller coaster. But do you know what the scariest part of the roller coaster is? You think it's the hill? I think it's the waiting in line. I think it's the waiting in line because you know that's what's coming. Yeah, maybe that first hill, right? Up, up, up. You hear the click, 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 right? But for me, it's the waiting in line. And because of that, they always have these chicken exits, which I think is just a glorified way of saying it's a, a, a fire escape. Thank you. Um, if you remember these, right? Have you ever seen these? these? These chicken exits, right? And you're like, oh, how bad is it that they get to give me a, a way out, right? And so I think that kind of plays into it a little bit. And, and maybe that's uh, to, to um, like I said, kind of promote the thing a little bit. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us that he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in our hearts. God has created you and he's pre-wired you to be a part of eternity and desire to be a meaningful part of eternity. Not just this, you know, little piece of time on earth, however long that is, but your story plays into this larger story. Even the most cynical among us believe deep down that there's something more than this life, right? Even if they don't know what to call it, there's like, there's gotta be something more than, than just this because God has created us and we have this desire to fit into eternity. And, and I think we tend to fear death because it seems scary to us. An end to our good times here on earth and we aren't quite certain what happens next. We have a pretty good idea, but, but we aren't quite certain what really happens next. But the truth is the highs and the lows, the quick turns, the moments that, that make your stomach go like up into your throat and the unknown, they actually occur in this life, not the next one, okay? The waiting in line is before the, the terror, but, but here, that stuff, we're going through that now, okay? We're, we're in line for what comes next, which is the peaceful area, right? We're going through the bumps of life now and, and Lord knows we certainly do. But the end of your life on earth, it creates so much hope in so many people and so much fear in many others. And why is that? I think it's because some people take hope from what they believe about eternal life, even if they don't fully understand it. While others think this, this present life is all that there is, where's the hope in that? Is that you? 
Do you think that this is all that there is? Is is this moment all that we can hope for? I've got this moment, nothing's guaranteed, and there's truth to that. But there's also this saying, right? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today's a gift. That's why they called a present. I didn't make that up. Um, You know, so there is some truth to that. But there's more to life and more to us than this one moment. So be honest with yourself. If, if this is moment, all that we can hope for, um, and if we believe that there is something more, something next, something better, we should be living our lives, leading our lives a little differently if we know that there's some lasting impact in what we're doing today. Now, every Sunday morning, we recite the Lord's Prayer together as a congregation. That's our tradition. And, and since I've been your pastor, we've done this literally hundreds of times and thousands over our lifetime likely. So think about the words. Our Father, which art in heaven, or who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that means, on earth as in heaven? What about that word heaven? What, what are we supposed to be doing here that, that's going to be like that? You know, heaven is, is among the many things found in the, the first and the New Testaments of the Bible. And, and Bible verses about going to heaven and Bible verses about heaven itself frequently appear in these life-altering pages of our Bible. And the topic of the afterlife has, been, has captivated human beings since the beginning of time, with the Bible offering timeless truths about heaven and, and what happens after we die. I'll give you a hint. You don't float around in a row playing the harp, right? There's, there's real work that gets to be done, fulfilling work and praise and worship and all this wonderful stuff. We don't get to float around in clouds. I think that's a cartoon. But God says there's some really cool stuff in store for us. But if you turn to the very first words of the very first page of the Bible, the very first one, Genesis 1-1, and you probably know this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? God doesn't create junk. That's what the, the t-shirt used to say. There's a wonderful place there, and there's a wonderful creation he created here. We've done a little bit of a bad job maintaining this one. The next one he's kept pure. But the Bible opens by mentioning that God created both the heavens and earth. And this is noticeable as we see heavenly images again appear in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. So this idea of heaven, this description of heaven, appears as the bookends of the beginning and the end of humanity and the beginning and end of Scripture. So surely there's something of importance and value to this place that comes next. Jesus often spoke about heaven, referring to it as his father's house, such as in John 14 too. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And much is written on this verse. And it's one of the Bible verses about heaven that is frequently discussed. It's debated. It's Analyze, and at the core, of the, the scripture indicates that God has a place for believers in heaven. A powerful reminder for Christians that hope exists beyond this world. And the Apostle Paul continues Jesus' teachings on this place as he writes to the early church in Philippi. So, this is from the book of Philippians 3 20 through 21. He says, Our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Building off Jesus' reference to home, Paul offers an important reminder that Christians' true citizenship this is in heaven. We're visitors here for a time, but we truly belong there, not here. 
Beyond that, Paul describes God's promise that the human body will be made glorious like Christ, delivering some intriguing insight into what happens after you die. Now, we find comfort in that as we age and our, our pots, parts wear out or we're ill, like we, we want to get our energy back. But it's not talking about our physical body. It's talking about our being will be glorious. So we defined the word glory a couple weeks ago, what that means. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Note that the inheritance given by the Lord is stored up in the afterlife. This gift, given because of God's mercy, offers hope through the resurrection. It's been established on the cross. From 2 Corinthians 5.1, it says, We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, right, temporary, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in heaven. Scripture also tells that these treasures are kept in a place where moth, rust, and thieves can't get to them. It's a safe place. And when we view earth as our home, we, our situation is our lot, right? This is, this is just how it is. And our stuff and accomplishments is our final prize. We want it now, right? If this is all there is, I'm going to party like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to amass stuff. It's going to be like that. We want to see it. We want to experience and feel it. And, and we want everybody to know it, right? Look what I've done. Who remembers Veruca Salt? Remember Veruca Salt, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, thank you. I don't want to have to watch that in church, but I will. I will. I, I, but I had to make you watch Princess Bride so you guys can keep up too. So, well, Veruca Salt, right? She was a, what word would describe her? Brat. Brat. That is what I thought of, right? She is a brat because she wants it now, right? I think the line is, I want an Oompa Loompa now, Daddy. Luke 15 contains a series of parables about our value to God. The story of the prodigal son is which demonstrates the unwavering love of the father and the immense joy when his son returns. But, but think at how about it all started. So verse 11 and 12, it starts this way. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father gave me my share of the estate. I want it now. I want it now, daddy. The truth is that God has a purpose and plan for each one of us during our time on earth and, and a plan and blessing for you when it is time for you to join him. I'm going to tell you this be, uh, because I need to hear it too. And that's basically how my messages work, right? You may think I'm talking about you. I'm usually talking about myself. Don't be so short-sighted and focus on the current moment that you cheat yourself out of the really good stuff that comes next. Don't be so focused on what happens here uh, that you... Don't have that kingdom perspective that says, if I do well, even if it doesn't look like it, feel like it, smell like it here, there's good stuff waiting for me because I'm doing what is right. You know, someone once asked, and I think it might have been one of our Bible discussions, you know, there was uh, someone sitting on the corner and, and they were asking money and they just felt really good because they gave the person $10 or something like that. And it just irritated them because they later saw them in a gas station getting something, you know. And, and it, they felt like, gosh, I, did I just waste my gift? And I, I thought, you know what? No, because it's with the spirit of what you're doing that you did it. You didn't give it to them with a caveat. No, you, you must invest this and whatever. It's like, you need it. I'm going to do it. You know, whatever you do with it's on you, not me. I have done what's right. That's what this is about. Storing those things in heaven. 
So trust me, you didn't, you didn't want to hear that now, but you're going to thank me later, literally, when these things come to play. But, but God does, doesn't tell us only to focus on what comes next. There is work to be done here, work for the betterment of others and work for the, the betterment of ourselves. I often share with you my observation of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness for 40 years after leaving Egypt and heading to the promised land. And as you follow their journey, both by events and by, by the literal path they took, you, you can see that they both had made it a lot sooner. They could have made it a lot sooner and a lot smoother, but their, their path went back and forth and they, they had troubles along the way with all these things. And, and, and I, I often say this, this is my own observation, but it took 40 years, not because the promised land wasn't ready for them, but because they were not ready for it. Right? And, and it proved to be true. But as you read the scriptures of the First Testament, that they, they struggled. This is the God that had rescued them. And they went through all these trials and they got the promised land. They had all their instructions. They were set up. They were ready to go and do it right in the right place. And, and they blew it over and over and over. They, they had this cycle of getting just prideful and, and worshiping other idols. And then another land would come in and take over them or, or exile them or put them into slavery. And they'd say, God, save me. And God would do it. He'd save them again. And, and it's very historical, this cycle that was going on. So a lot of our life here, it may seem like there's struggles, but God, it's not that heaven's not ready. It's, it was built perfectly the same day he made this earth made the heavens and earth. He made it perfect. So I need you to get a couple things done first. I've got some work for you to down there, a little chiseling and polishing I need to do on you, and then I've got a wonderful place for you next. That's, that's the way I like to look at this. There is a purpose for our time here and the events that happen along the way, a training grounds of sorts, a proving ground of our faith and obedience done with the mindset of eternity when we do it right. So let's get spiritually fit and be ready, but not in a rush, to claim the promise of eternal life. We miss those who go on before us. We mourn their loss. We miss them terribly, and we will be missed as well. But part of us celebrates because we know what's next. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14, he says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it into light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. It matters the basis of what we do and why. And he's saying it's not on stuff. And he, he went everything from gold and silver all the way down to straw and hay. It wasn't about the materials. It's about what you did your work based on. Is it on this kingdom mindset? Is it on the foundation laid by Christ on what we should be doing and how? And think about the work that we are entrusted to do. And I say entrust because it's not forced upon us. It's not drudgery. It isn't meaningless. There's important work to be done here. And God has given each one of us specific gifts and specific callings to do this work. And he trusts you to do your part. And this was a part of the special uh, work that we talked about a few weeks ago in the message, Six Days You Shall Labor. God has important stuff for you to do. And he wired you perfectly to accomplish whatever that is. But there's another parable that captures the spirit of this perspective well. And if you'd like to follow in your own Bible, I'll be reading from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's the parable of the bags of gold. So I'm going to read this. This is from the NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. There's that word entrusted. 
To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. They're given the right amount for what they needed to do. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who with two bags of gold also came. Master said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See that I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. When the man had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew you are a harsh man. Not a good way to speak to someone. Harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I would not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, will be, has, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a place we want to spend eternity. And again, those are Jesus' words. But again, this Apostle Paul that, that shares Jesus' teachings and, and elaborates. He says, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? It's about engaging in your worship, engaging in, in, in your life. It's about engaging God in your life. It's about being intentional. Not just doers or hearers, but doers. You know, I've got a great idea. I know I should be doing this, but I will get up and do it. It's worth noting that our reward in heaven depends on the goodness and power of God, not necessarily what we've done. See, through Christ's resurrections, we gain an inheritance in heaven. On earth, our faith is tested and results in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed, right? The things we do in this life are only permanent that is carried with us in heaven, they're, they're, if they are built on the foundation, those good works we do, the, the polishing and chiseling on our body, that goes with us because they're built on the good things. This foundation, which is Christ. And both those statements were from verses I read earlier. But the rewards we gain in heaven are not like the rewards we earn here on earth. We, we tend to think of material things, where we live, what we drive, what we own, etc. But these things only represent the true rewards of what we gained, right? I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger and better shape. I mean, round is a shape, but I was in a different shape. Thank you. Okay. I had a collection of ribbons and medals and trophies. I didn't work hard because I wanted the ribbon. I, I wanted what the ribbon meant. I was the fastest 50-yard butterfly swimmer in the pool that day. That's what that represented. It wasn't about the ribbons. It was about the accomplishments. So similar, any rewards or honor we gain in heaven will be precious to us because we carry the weight and meaning of our relationship with God. Look what I did in God's name. Look what was accomplished, what he entrusted me to do, and I did. 
with that investment because they remind us of what we did in his name on earth. In this way, rewards in heaven glorify God and they provide us with joy and, and peace and wonder. I didn't say pride. As we consider God's work in us and through us, the, the closer we were to God during this life, the more centered on him and aware of him, the more dependent on him, the more desperate for his mercy, the more there will be to celebrate. Paul kept saying, you know, I'm, I'm the worst of the sinner. I'm the lowest, so, so I'm going to boast not because of how bad I am, but because how much their blessing I got to, to bring me to where I am, right? So there is, there is some joy in our shortcomings and call them out because God will perfect us. We're like characters in a story who suffer doubt and loss and fear. What if we will ever really have our heart's desire? When the happy ending comes and the desire is fulfilled, there comes a, a completion to our story. The story would not be satisfying without that completion. Rewards in heaven are the, are the completion of our earthly story, and those rewards will be eternally satisfying. Not despite the promise, but because of it. I need to remind you that time to dig a well is not when you're thirsty. Right? Think about the thief on the cross in the 11th hour. Okay, this is from the crucifixion story, Luke 23, 39 through 43. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at, at him, Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then this criminal who was hanging on the cross dying, he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Powerful words. In Jesus' conversation with the thief on the cross offers a convicting and transformative reminder that it's never too late to change. It's the latter line from Christ, however, that often pops up in conversations about heaven. As he claims that this man, this criminal who has repented, will be with him in paradise, heaven, that very day. He knew his time was close. But what if you don't know when the time is, right? The verse says we don't know when when Jesus will return, when the world will, this world will end. We don't know. Even says even the sun does not know. You do not know, aside from that, when your personal life, your physical life on here will end. So don't wait to find out if you've been saved. And more importantly, don't wait and miss the blessing that God wants you to experience now. You know, this criminal, yes, he was saved at the 11th hour as he was dying on the cross. And, and Jesus, I'm sure, kept his promise and that man was with him in heaven. But what if he had made that decision days earlier, the blessings he could have experienced, knowing that he was in God's good graces all along? That's the choice we get to make. That's the choice we have to make. I don't want to wait till the 11th hour to make sure that I'm going to get in. Okay, I'm going to do the best I can every single day. And even if you've already made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, there will still be trouble. That is also promised. Remember how I started the message with a picture of the roller coaster track, and I said that we get scared saying line because of what comes next, that crazy ride, when in reality that jostling rides happens in life, this life, not the next. A part of our preparation for the next part of eternal life includes an amount of training and conditioning. Consider again the Israelites journeying through the wilderness. The tough times, the work now, the illness, the worry will all be replaced completely, eternally. That is the promise. So don't give up. Keep living, keep working because there is both purpose and power in remaining strong. 
If that is where you are, consider the lyrics of the song as we reflect on this message. Um, Becky approached me a couple weeks ago, and so there's a song that, that kind of spoke to her, and she asked if she could share it. We aren't professional performers, but when God puts a song on our heart, a poem, a scripture, I want you guys to share it. There's power in our testimony. that that song represents me in my life so there's something going on that I need to, to give up to God and so that's it's a powerful reminder and that's a part of our story or a part of our testimony but I don't want moments like those when you're discouraged when you're worried when you feel like you're just too much trouble to become a regret a promise has been made to you first John 2 25 this is the promise which he himself has made to us and it simply says eternal life 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And John 3, 15, I love, you know, everybody knows John 3, 16. And I often challenge us to read the verses on both sides of, of, of the ones we know so well because there's more to the story, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it goes on. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? That's important. That's the, the, the more of the message. So don't get hung up on one verse. But right before all that, you know what it says, verse 15? So what, whoever believes will, believes will in him have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That is the if on the promise. If we do this, then he will give us that gift, that wonderful gift. Believe in him. He will get you through the tough times. So don't let your discouragement become regret. The promise remains unchanged, so claim it. If you had to, what moment would you go back and do over? What if this was your do-over, right? I love the remote because I'm a guy, right? And, and one thing that I love that drives her nuts is the 10-second back thing, right? Yeah, she's looking at me. What do they say? What did that little thing on the fine print on the bottom of the screen? Watch this, watch this, right? I, so I love that thing. But what if you, I mean, how many times would we like to go back 10 seconds and go, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have thought that? Maybe it's more than 10 seconds. Make the right choice now so you don't have that kind of regret. This remote control, the do-over, right? What would you do differently? Would you act justly? Would you love mercy? Would you walk humbly with your God? That's what he says. Do that now. Do that now. You'll thank me later for taking that advice. What if this is your do-over moment? What if some magical way God said you can go back in this moment, that that situation you find yourself in, I'm going to give you do-over because you blew it last time. This is your do-over. What are you going to do with a kingdom perspective? Knowing that everything you do now is a basis for what comes next. Let's chisel. Let's polish. Let's get ready. Let's be like the Israelites. Let's not drag out this 40 years. Let's get there and be ready. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you make so many wonderful promises. This isn't all there is. Yet this life still matters. We aren't lost and and without purpose. You have have given us a purpose to worship you, a purpose to, to help each other, to be better people, to provide for our needs, to make sure everybody's happy and healthy and kind. And above all, to turn that all towards you. We just want to be a mirror image of your life in Christ. We don't want to take his place. We don't want to do anything else other than say, all that's good in us is because he is good. And as we continue to work off our rough edges, as we continue to go through the trials and all that stuff, we just get excited, Lord. We get excited because this is not all there is. Of course we miss those who've gone on before us. But we're so thankful. My grandfather, my grandmother, my own brother are with you. Friends from this congregation, our family members, those who have fought and served our country, they are with you. That's awesome. Lord, we just thank you for that promise. And if you need to convict our hearts something right now, this is the place and time to do it. Lord, in your son's name, we pray and we are so thankful and we all say together, amen.